You're now listening to Your Real Money Stories podcast. That blur or that that gap in, in where that money went definitely wasn't helped by the fact that I had a very expensive habit that made it very easy for me to ignore consequences, you know, to ignore the repercussions because you would say, oh, I'm not going to do this again. And then two weeks later, you're doing it again. Hi guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Eve. And I'm Nick. And we are The Money Medics. And we're your hosts of Your Real Money Stories. An original podcast series brought to you in association with Zopa. The podcast where we'll be giving you the unfiltered truth about money through anonymous confessions and unfiltered opinions. As well as providing useful information and resources for each topic we discuss. And we have to say, this isn't financial advice. These are just our views. So today we'll be talking about addiction and mental health and specifically the impact it can have on your finances. So the thing is addiction is often linked to mental health problems because an addiction may be a way to cope with feelings that you felt unable to deal with in other ways. So as per usual, there'll be three sections to the podcast. First, we will hear a personal story from our anonymous guest. Then we will discuss our own opinions and we've got some really useful tips and resources towards the end. So today we have Rachel joining us and she's our anonymous guest. And of course, that is not her real name. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. How's your day been in general? My day's been very productive, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Enjoyed the rain today, which is a bit unusual, but (laughs) that was a bit of a random one. But I guess we live in Britain, What, what to expect. But okay, this is a relatively sensitive topic. So thank you so much for being so open about everything. Um, But yeah, let's just get straight into things. So I already know a bit of your story, but please do tell the audience how the things all start off. So when were you first introduced to drugs? So I think I was first introduced to it in a very sort of casual context. It wasn't, there wasn't any, I feel like when you hear these stories, there's always like an agenda, but there really was no agenda. It was my friend's 30th birthday party. And I, in true form, had booked myself, double booked myself. So I was traveling back and forth between two 30th birthday parties. And when I got back to the first one, um, my friend, you know, and it's funny because I feel like this is such a, I guess some girls like to do it, but she was like, I'm going to the toilet, come with me, you know, because she wanted to get some time to chat. And I went with her and I guess maybe she'd assumed or I'd assumed or whether there was some sort of assumption was made. And she, I guess, cut me a line and was like, here you go. And in in the moment, it felt really awkward. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just me just being really polite, but it felt really awkward to be like, no. So I just, I just did it and I didn't even think anything of it it wasn't even really like a thing I just did it and that was it and you know we went on to have a really great night out I ended up back at, at hers and it was you know we had breakfast I came home the next day and that, that, that was really the end of it um and I didn't even touch um what she offered me again and which was cocaine um until god maybe maybe seven or eight months later like it really was just the blip because her birthday so her birthday's in the um earlier part of the year and and again, I think there was a couple of more social events throughout the year. And then I remember we went to a Halloween party 
And again, maybe again, this is just me just not really being that person who's on the scene. I remember her saying to me, are you prepared? Do you have what you need to enjoy yourself? And I remember thinking, well, I've got my Mm. costume. I've got my shoes. Is there anything else I need? And (laughs) she she was like, no, I was talking about like stash, like party favors. And I was like, oh no, no. Cause I don't have any, I didn't have any contacts. And I remember her saying to me, well, do you know what? I'll give you mine. I'll share with our friend. You just pay me back later. And again, that was it. It was all very casual. And this went on for the better part of, uh, I want to say maybe like a year, even though it was very, it was all very casual, very chilled. The point in which it turned, I guess, was when, again, and that's, you know, when we say addiction subsides, where both mental health and, 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 well, and, you know, addiction, addictive behaviours coincide. And so I got let go from my job in, in quite a brutal way, um, and the job, even before that time, had been quite um, emotionally um, intense. You know, there was a lot of sort of bullying and inviting and just, it was all just a very negative environment. Um, but the culmination of that ended up in me being let go. And it was one of those things where I, I've always been that person who likes to put on a brave face. So I remember it was my, it was a, again, we had a big sort of group of friends and it was another friend's birthday party and I felt awkward turning up in the mood that I was in. And, it, and I spent the whole night trying to be like really cheery and really happy and like, you know, trying to be bubbly, but I just wasn't really feeling it. And I remember at that point, someone else who was also part of the same friendship group was like, oh, I've got someone who's come into meet me do you want to come with me and we can grab and you can get some something yourself as well which we did and then at that point that was when I then got introduced to who then became my my dealer basically um and at that point in time it was still very casual I remember that I just at that point the party I guess became much better and I felt much better and I remember um getting home at like six in the morning after it had been a great night and my mum saying to me oh you look like you're much happier than you were before and I felt a little awkward like I can't really say why I'm happier but yeah I guess I am and that sparked a very dangerous link between well, what my therapist likes to call self-soothing right uh, where as soon as I started to feel bad I had to take something to make myself feel better um and it all kind of got linked together so I started a very dangerous habit every single time I went out with a friend or friends I had a birthday party or a Halloween party or something where I felt embarrassed I felt embarrassed that I was still unemployed I, it took me almost three months to find another job but the lead up to Christmas was a very depressing time and every time I got an interview or didn't get an interview or got rejected or you know didn't get an offer it just it all just kept reinforcing this negative view I had of myself which then it's really hard to go into the world with friends who were doing so well. You know, I had friends who were buying apartments and friends who were getting new jobs and, you know, and, and having to put this brave face on that. I felt like I couldn't do it without, I guess, a little bit of help, you know? Um, and that over time then bubbled into a, a point where I didn't know where my self-soothing start, started and, and where the, I get the need to, you know, take cocaine stopped really. And I guess I just, wasn't able to separate myself from what what was what made me feel better you know and I and I'd find all sorts of reasons to justify it I'd say well I was tired and I have insomnia and you know it helps me get energy and you know also you don't get hangovers so that helps us too I can I can have an amazing night out on a Thursday and still turn up on a Friday and do my job and and that's the thing right like it was all very you know you no one would look at me and think there was a problem because I didn't stop being the person I was I just found another way to be that person 
and we'll take shortcuts basically that's what it was it was a shortcut to happiness it was a shortcut to you know getting over exhaustion getting over both being emotional exhaustion physical exhaustion mental exhaustion you know because as as terrible as you feel if you you know take enough cocaine you won't feel that way anymore (laughs) that's that's really how it works um and I guess at the time financially I wasn't really thinking that much um about how much I was really spending because my my, I didn't really have a good idea well at the time that was all going on I wasn't the most organized person when it came to money anyway I always knew that I had to have savings and I always had savings and I would always oversave and then I would overextend myself either through a birth a night out or taking one too many ubers and they would just take the money out of my savings and they would take and they, and that just kept happening it was a very vicious circle but then because I'd been doing that basically since I was 22 anyway I didn't really think that much of it hmm. can I just ask a bit a, a bit more about that so if we can just go back one step because I can tell so I mean we've only just started the conversation but I can tell that you've had a really tumultuous journey so I just want to take it right all the way back. So you mentioned that um, you felt like you and yourself were, wasn't the best uh, saver or best with your money at the time. So back when you had your previous job. So could you tell us a bit more about that? So how much were you earning at the time? And what do you what do you say was like your attitude towards money back then? Um, I guess, so my first job in the in media well I mean I'll tell anyone media doesn't pay so I remember when my first proper job in media that wasn't an internship that just covered expenses was um 16,000 a year um and I'm sure anyone knows that 16,000 a year does not pay rent let alone a travel card and um I was lucky enough to obviously be from London and live at home but you know it's it's and I guess I was very naive to how expensive London was because you know when you grow up here you don't really know the cost of things you know because your parents kind of shield you from that and then you graduate you come out into the the world and you're just shocked by just how expensive everything is particularly if you went to outside of London where let's be honest everything is a lot cheaper up north and so yeah what was really tricky for me was you know when I graduated and moved back to London I had friends who just by the nature of where they were just or who their parents were just had access to a lifestyle that I just couldn't have and so I overcompensated um and so I I did what I was supposed to do you know I I would put money in my savings um but then I would all it would take was one night out or one taxi that I didn't prepare myself for or I would miss the last bus or the last train and next thing I know I'm spending 40 pounds on a taxi that I didn't account for and where am I going to get that money from but out of my savings and at the time I guess I wasn't very educated on credit cards and overdrafts and that they kind of scared me a little bit and I've always had this idea that you know spend money that is your own money so I never really felt that I could use my credit card or my overdraft to subsidize my living but I could use money that I'd already saved that was my mentality the credit card and the overdraft situation came later um (laughs) and so that was so but my attitude to money was very much like well, I've saved this money, but now I need it. So I'm going to take it out. And it was a vicious circle. Over the next two years or the next three years, I would put money in and I would take money out. I'd put money in, I'd take money out. And my savings never really grew much. Every once in a while, I'd have a good couple of months and then I'd have a bad couple of months. But there was no sort of, uh, there was no consistency. Yeah, there was no consistency, you know. I But I always told myself I'm fine because I'm not in debt. <laughs> you know and so it was like well I don't owe anyone any money so I guess I'm fine um and when you're you know 22 23 30 seems so far away right like you're like I've got time that's what you tell yourself you're like I've got ages before I have to worry about any of this stuff 
Um, and I guess, yeah, that was my attitude to money, which was I didn't really have an attitude to money. I just saved and then didn't save. Yeah, I mean, I see what you mean about being in your early 20s. I mean, now I'm in my late 20s. And even then, I still feel like, oh, 30s ages away, let me not even think about it. And it's probably in a couple of months. So <laughs> I, I completely get what you mean in that sometimes it's easier to make, to think like, oh, the older version of myself will will sort this out. Let me enjoy my life as, as things are now. But before all of that happened, so before um, you had uh, the job that you did not enjoy, how much a month were you spending on drugs at the time? Oh, literally nothing. And that's what's really interesting that up until, so I was, God, I'm trying to remember now exactly. I was either 25 or 24. And then it was only really until I got introduced to someone and that was probably towards the end of 20 god when did I leave this agency I left this agency towards the end of 2016 so it was probably towards the start of yeah towards the end of 2016 start of 2017 that it then became a problem so it was actually a good couple of years of already having very bad money habits that then I then introduced to another thing that created another bad money habit so it was it was a culmination of just I guess a lot of it was to do with just a lot of insecurities, you know, and I was already so insecure about so many other things already. I was insecure about how much little money I had and I was insecure about why I couldn't keep a job and I was insecure about why I couldn't seem to catch up with my friends and I was insecure about so many other things that it it became very easy for me to find a, a, what was eventually essentially a, a shortcut to getting past all of those feelings because you never feel more invincible or more powerful you know I was I was I was myself but better I think it's the best way to explain it I was I could I could dance two hours straight and I could I could go from being exhausted at 7 p.m to being like the biggest party person at 2 a.m you know I just was myself but but more and you you do you feel invincible you feel you feel invincible you feel and that's the thing that that's that's the trick of it right you don't feel terrible <laughs> you don't wake up and you feel awful you know you don't wake up and feel like this is the worst thing I've ever done but you do get the fear in other ways so I'd always get the fear of like oh my god how much money did I spend that night and then I'd go well okay I might have overdone it but it's fine because I'm not going to go out for another two weeks and I'll just take the money out of my savings. But that was a pattern I'd already established well before I'd been introduced to drugs. And like, I'm curious, like, how much on average on like a night out would you spend? Oh, well, this is the thing they don't tell you because it's a, it's a social activity. And that's what's so strange to me. As soon as I was introduced to it, everyone I knew was doing it as well. Like, everyone was, was involved. You would share, you know, you'd be that person. You'd go, right, who's interested? Okay, you give me 20 pounds, you give me 20 pounds, you give me 20 pounds, and you would accept it. So it was very hard to keep track of how much you were really spending because there would be some nights out where you would split. There'd be some nights out where you'd buy your own stash. There'd be some nights out where you would not do anything. Or there'd be some nights out where you'd borrow from a friend. You know, you'd turn up unprepared and a friend would lend you some and you'd, you know, pay them back, you know, two weeks later. So it was, it was the same sort of thing as just buying drinks, right? You know, you don't, I mean, if you were to ask yourself how much money you've spent buying your friend drinks over the last years, you couldn't really answer that question because it's, <laughs> because you don't really keep track of that sort of stuff. But I could, but what I did notice was that my savings 
were getting lower and lower. I went from having almost £10,000 in savings to having very little in savings. And that goes, but then that was also a combination of being in between jobs as well. I was a freelancer. So when I wasn't working, I would have to use my savings to, to live off. But what I will say is when you're putting, if you're taking more out than you're putting in, that money's not going to last very long. And I didn't realize how bad it had gotten until I started my now permanent role. And I, I had very little left in, in, the, in the way of savings. And I was 28 and I was like, like, what happened? And I couldn't answer that question. Even now I'm still, I'm like, where did that money go? That blur or that, that gap in, in where that money went definitely wasn't helped by the fact that I had a very expensive habit that made it very easy for me to ignore consequences, you know, to ignore the repercussions because you would say, oh, I'm not going to do this again. And then two weeks later, you're doing it again. And when everything was going on, so when you unfortunately lost your job, I know you said that you felt a bit embarrassed um, with all your friends, but I mean, being that they're your friends, why were you not able to discuss, you know, what was going on with them or even like your family members? Did you have anyone else that you could confined in so that wasn't the first job that I had left as well so at that point I was already in back I'd become that person who'd be like oh I've got a new job again and what was embarrassing with that this particular situation was because I thought I was fine you know I I passed my probation period you know and they tell you when you pass your probation period that's it right like you shouldn't have any more hoops and curves to sort of navigate through and I thought that I was okay I was sat in a room where a woman from HR, who I've never met before, by the way, is telling me that we've had conversations about your performance. No, we haven't. That we've spoken to you about this before. No, you haven't. That this has been an ongoing problem. Was it? <laughs> That's And that was the bit that really, it just blindsided me. And even now, like it's still gutting because I've just never been in a situation like that in my life. It took me a long time to recover from that. I became very insecure. So that's why it was so easy for me to turn to something that would make me feel better, even for just two hours. So at the time when you lost lost your job or that you went through that bad experience, how did you fund that habit? Because I know you already said that you you had savings and everything. How did you fund that habit? Did you then start to use credit cards or an overdraft? What what happened at the time when you didn't have a job in in order to kind of continue to to purchase the, the party favors? Um, so it also helps if you win a court case, even a couple of. And this was years ago. This we're going all the way back to like twenty thirteen. So I'd had a very bad experience with um, a medical doctor, and I'd opened a a, a, a a no win no fee claim case that I probably forgot about because they can take years to settle. And it was a month into my new job when I got a phone call from them being like, hi. Um, so the, the person in question has decided to settle and they're going to give you £15,000. Honestly, when I when I tell you, when I got that phone call, I I had to go for a walk. It was a bit of a shock because, <laughs> because it won. It's the most amount of money I've ever heard in my life. That money went so quick. To, to this day, I still don't know where it went. And it went in the space of about a year, like that's how quick it went. It wasn't even like, no, actually that's a lie. Six grand of it went. I had about two grand left when I started my final now permanent job. So I'd probably blown for about maybe six grand of it, but then I was still freelancing at the time. So I think 
throughout that time, I probably was maybe f- I spent three months unemployed and I, I normally need about a grand half month. So it's hard again, so it's hard for me to work out like what 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 of that went on me just being unemployed versus me spending that money on just Ubers and deliveries and party favors and you know, like it's and that's the thing. I wasn't really keeping a track on, I wasn't tracking it. Like I didn't have a spreadsheet, I wasn't really looking at my statements, I was just taking it out as soon as I needed it to Hmm. I know it's quite hard to quantify but if you could kind of guess roughly um how much maybe a month or even a year you were spending on things like uh, drugs ubers etc I could easily say that so just my social budget just factoring in everything including the ubers including the takeouts including the 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 maybe three to four hundred pounds a month since you had that massive windfall of cash come in, do you think that had an impact as to how regularly you bought party favours? Because going from, as you said before, not not necessarily having a job for a period of time and then still buying the party favours, do you think, did you start buying it more regularly because you had this windfall of cash or did your, or did the habit not change? What happened? It's actually the opposite because what had happened was the windfall came off the back of me already realizing that I'd had a problem. So I had, I basically, so what had happened was I'd started relying on party favors to get through very awkward situations where I just didn't feel secure enough to, to not have help. And then it got to the point where I basically made, um, I hurt a few people in the process and decided that I had to really sort of readdress my behavior. So that's when I started therapy in that month when I was going through therapy, I wasn't working. So I took two months off and in that two months I wasn't working, but I still needed to have money to live off. So I was sort of living off savings and then, and then the money that I won came through and I used that money to square away debts that I had. So I cleared probably about three grand of debt, credit, um, credit card and overdrafts. But then what was really interesting is at the point in which then I, had that money I do feel like I was at a better point in my life where I was doing more to take care of myself but I was still spending money on things like Ubers, deliveries, again friends getting married and I had hen parties to pay for and, and bridesmaids dress to buy and you know flights to book and every single time I would book something I didn't like to have debt so I'd pay off straight away. You mentioned something um not too long ago you were saying that the point where like you realized you had a problem you mentioned that you'd hurt um a few people I don't know if you'd feel comfortable in sharing like maybe what had happened how that kind of led to you wanting to change things it was so I basically so after I left the job that basically kickstarted all of these problems I ended up joining an agency where I was just from the very beginning sat out of my debt and in the end I ended up leaving that role I ended up just I wouldn't say spiraling but I, I, really, I was already spiraling before and I remember I went out with a friend and I still don't really remember that night much, but I remember I went out with a friend and it was one of those really fun nights. We went to a gig and then we ended up meeting up with some other friends, media people that we all knew quite well and I'd known for some time. And all I really remember is that I went home with someone and that, like, basically that was um, the ex of my friend. And it just crossed a few boundaries that I shouldn't have crossed and you know, hurt her in a way that I shouldn't have hurt her. And, but I did end up losing that friendship. Ironically, the person that I, the friendship I lost is also the person who introduced me to party favours. So there's a bitter irony there. Looking back, our friendship wasn't the most healthiest of friendships because all we really did was just drink together. 
and go out a lot and take party favors a lot. So in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the healthiest of friendships. So I don't know how long that friendship would have survived anyway, but I do regret the way in which it ended. No, I really, really, really appreciate you sharing that, Rachel. And um, in you saying that, I know you mentioned that from that moment, you then realised you need to change and you wanted to overcome like, this addiction or habit you were having. And then you, you then said, like, you started seeing a therapist. Did you did you pay for that? Was that through the NHS? Like, I really, really kind of wanted to like, start to change the focus on how you started the process to overcome um, the, the, the issue you identified. How, can you walk us through that? So I had already, from when I'd been fired from that job, um, I'd been put in touch with a charity that in, in my particular industry that basically helps people overcome situations. So I had signed up and I was already doing career counselling with them. And then as we were going for the career counselling, the career counsellor was like the same things keep coming up. And I do think you would actually benefit from CBT. So we're going to refer you um, to our CBT partner um, and they're going to offer you 10 hours, free 10 hours. And, and yeah, I started doing um, therapist and I was was seeing her every week. And I mean, she was wonderful because she was also a little bit cheeky because what she said was that we're not going to count some of your sessions as like sessions. um, So we can get a couple more hours in. So she actually managed to, I guess, cheekily add on three additional hours um, onto our sessions. And then I started seeing her after that, but self-funded. It's not cheap, I'll be honest with you. Therapy in this country is not as cheap as it should be. So she was um, one of the more pricey ones. So I was paying, I want to say 80 pounds an hour, maybe 60 pounds an hour. I'd have to check my, my bank statement, but I think it was between 60 to 80 and I couldn't afford to see her more than once a month because I just generally didn't have that money spare. So I started seeing her once a month and I was seeing her once a month for then an additional three months. And I started to make better decisions. I, um, you know, I went, I went celibate and I um, started to work more on myself and I started focusing on my job. But the issue is, is that the same patterns of behavior were still kind of growing their ugly head in the sense that I couldn't be consistent in that. So so while I was doing really well in other ways, I was still doing very bad in certain ways. So I would do very well in terms of the fact that I was, you know, sometimes drinking less and, you know, I would, I would um, have days, sometimes even months where I wouldn't, I would have no party favors at all, but all it would take would be one bad day or one bad week. And I also still had a group of friends that still had very intense nights out and still, you know, a lot of like, vendors and things like that so even though yeah I may I may not be spending money on party favor I would still drop like sometimes 300 pounds a month on evens just from three big nights out and it, yeah it, it adds up and when I finally turned 28 I decided that I needed to step up and I needed to really address some problems I had when it came one with money but also standing my ground because the issue I always felt was that if I was that friend who said I can't do this I'm really sorry but I can't afford to do this with you I felt like I was being a bad friend you know like if I said to my friend oh, I actually can't come to your birthday dinner at Novikov because I actually can't afford Novikov like <laughs> I was being a bad friend you know like I felt awkward but I started not only just saying no but I started standing my ground and I stopped being afraid of being that friend who was worried of hurting other people's feelings even though they had no they they were not concerned about what they were doing with my money, um, all the pressures that they were putting on me, I 
created a budget tracker um, and I started refocusing and I put myself on a plan of, I was going to say 15,000 pounds in three years. And, and I was going to buy a flat by the time I was 31. And, and then that, and that was it. And I was doing very well. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like you end up where you're supposed to be in a weird sense. And I was doing very well. And then at the start of last year, on a whim, I said, I, I remember having a conversation with my mum at Christmas, like, right, mum, I'm ready. I'm going to start the process of looking. So my plan was to find somewhere that was like off plan, like a, a new build, something off plan where I could put in a reservation fee, continue saving whilst they were building it and then complete the process and buy it. And then I found my flat and I did a financial assessment. And I remember I submitted it on a Friday and they called me at 9 a.m. that Friday morning, like, we'd like to speak to you more about your application. And I passed the financial assessment and they were like, yeah, you could buy one of our flats actually if you wanted to. And then I remember I came home and I sat down and I was like, so am I doing this? Like, are we, like, am I doing this? And she was like, well, why don't you go see the flat first? Take your brother, because apparently I can't move for, you know, not having my brother check the flat first. And so she, and he's hungry to me as well. And so she was like, go see the flat with your brother. So I went to go see it. And immediately, as soon as we walked in, my brother was like, I like this flat. I love it. I'm happy with it. It ticks all my boxes. I think I'm ready. In the middle of November, I got my keys. So I'm a homeowner now. I have a fully furnished flat, absolutely no debt with it, no payment plans, nothing. I'm in, weirdly, one of the best situations of my life. And I guess that, well, yeah, there are regrets. I do have regrets of where I could have been versus where I am and, you know, what I could have bought versus what I did buy. But I'm also accepting of the fact that you end up where you're going to end up. Life is what happens when you're trying to plan for it. You know, I'm I'm a homeowner and I'm a homeowner a year before I plan to be. So... Yeah. I think this is so impressive. You saying, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. I don't want to hear that. Like you're in an amazing position as you are. So this is just really, really impressive to hear everything that's happened. And especially your story as well. I'm sure there are going to be people that are listening to this that can probably really relate. So for the people that are listening and that potentially have, um, are going through a similar journey to what you've been through, could you advise on how do you know? So what are the signs of addiction? How do you know you're addicted to a substance? Um, and what advice would you give someone that's trying to change your life or trying to turn things around? Well, I think the key thing is, I think more often than not, people think of addiction as the extremes of addiction. They, they're so they're always so worried about ending up like someone who loses everything and ends up living on the streets or ends up in rehab and more often than not addiction is not like that you can be addicted to so many things and not realize I was addicted to and I can make all the excuses like maybe if I lived closer to London I wouldn't have had to get so many Ubers and maybe because I live on the national if I lived on just directly to the tube and etc etc but the fact is is that I wasn't necessarily addicted to Ubers or addicted to takeaways I was addicted to finding ways to make myself feel better because I, because I was so insecure, I was so worried about people judging me for my lack of money that I would spend my money. Like if you're spending it, then you can't be judged for the lack of it. And I found shortcuts to make myself feel better. Um, Cause I was trying to keep up with this London lifestyle, right? Cause everyone's doing it. And that's, that's the most ridiculous thing that I learned coming out of this situation is even now I still know of people who are spending money on taxis and Ubers and cocaine and all that sort of stuff, but they are 
spending an obscene amount of money and they are trying to catch up for this lifestyle. But if there's one thing I've learned, having spent a year in lockdown, is that you don't need any of it. Honestly and truthfully, you will be fine. You honestly will be fine. You do not need to go on that £42 brunch. And that is the one thing that I guess terrifies me coming out of the pandemic, which is just how easy it would be for me to fall back into those old habits of just being that person who goes out all the time because I'm trying to chase a lifestyle that doesn't exist. And yes, it does seem lovely when you are seeing people unpacking their new Fendi bag or showing off their new Tesla or, you know, even, yeah, I, I've got people I've seen who bought houses and I'm sat here like, well, I own a one bedroom flat and it's fine. But then I'm seeing people buying houses. And I'm like, well, maybe I should have got a house. Maybe that, you know, that maybe, maybe I rushed the process. Honestly and truthfully, just do what makes you happy. You owe absolutely nothing to anyone. I could be better about the fact that I went into an industry that is never going to make me a millionaire. Or I can accept the fact that I really do love my job, despite the challenges that come with it. And, and that's, and that's a, I guess, a part of growing up, you know? So I would say to anyone who is going through, particularly anyone who's a graduate and who's graduated in this pandemic, um, honestly, take your time. You are 22, 23 years old. And trust me, your 20s will go quicker than you realise. So don't rush it. Don't be so quick to get to that finish line because honestly and truthfully, like you can just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Don't take silly risks. Don't shortcut your way to happiness. I mean, like I said, just haven't listened to your story. You've you've been through so much and you know, you've had a lot of ups and sorry, you've had a lot of downs, but you've ended on the high. And that is absolutely amazing to hear. Yeah, and I've just, like I said, anyone that's listened to this, a lot of people are going through this. And um, this is a lot more common than people care to talk about. I hope that anyone who's listening just realises that, trust me, like we all feeling it. We're just all very good at faking it. Don't trust the image that people are putting out there in the world because we are all faking it. And I just wish that someone had told me this a long time ago. I will say, wow, that that is such an interesting and heartfelt story um even though I've never been in a situation like that I could really empathize with her and kind of place myself in her situation and I really love and appreciate how like transparent she was and just really how she was able to you know get herself out, out of that situation because I know that you know get, getting out of addiction can be really 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 difficult so considering what you know Rachel has said to us what would you do if you thought a friend was in a similar situation and, you know, how would you help them to open up without making them feel embarrassed? I think it's just being overproactive, you know. I think it sometimes it's not enough to just send a message, oh, hope you're doing well. I'd actually call them, you know, maybe go around their house. I know it's during COVID, maybe schedule a Zoom session to understand how they're actually um, feeling. It's, it's very difficult to understand what's going on in someone's life. You can only try and go beyond just sending a message. I think even if it's sending something you know that's going to make them happy, prior to this something going wrong, I think just cultivating a habit of having very authentic conversation with friends, like remove the egos or, or anything, you know, like, how are you feeling, bro? Like... So it's like, I remember, like, you know, like someone of our family members hasn't been feeling well. And I shared that with my friend. And he then told me 
his like parent wasn't even feeling well. I wouldn't have known that if I had not opened up. So I think it's important to take that first step, like share something vulnerable about yourself and you'll be surprised someone may share something vulnerable about themselves. And that's how it starts. So yeah, that's my that's my take on it. Oh, I, I love what you said, Nick. And I think I definitely agree with you. I also feel like it, for myself, I really feel like it depends on the relationship and how close you are to the person in terms of I guess the friendships I like to keep all the friendships like I hold really close to my heart I'm definitely like very over proactive and I'm the type of person that I'll just knock on your door and I'll be like what's going on I haven't heard from you what's happening I'll literally because of I guess the type of relationship I've tried to cultivate I would literally force my way my way into the house and be like what's happening like you know how can I help what can we do together I guess try and let them know that you know it's a wee situation and they're not alone and I guess just not to be judgmental um also not try and I guess fix it like I guess it's not always about trying to offer solutions or this is how we can fix it but it's just about like you know just being there for them having like a listening air well being being a listening air for them and yeah just taking it you know step by step day by day I I feel like I try to be a friend whereby um, I'm open enough for people to feel like they can tell me anything um, and feel comfortable and not feel like I'm going to judge them as well. That being said, that I do feel like sometimes I can be the person similar to Rachel as in like I might struggle to tell other people how I'm feeling. Um, so that that's one thing and and similar to what Nick said sometimes if you don't tell other people how you're feeling then they don't know that they can come to you and tell you how how they're feeling yeah exactly I'm just really really private and often like to keep things to myself so yeah I think that's probably something that in retrospect I probably need to work on a lot more to ensure that people can come to me and tell me anything and not feel like I'll I'll judge them or anything like that but yeah I don't know this is a bit of a difficult one for me it's one that I just probably have to like think about in my own time, yeah. I know it's um I know it's really difficult. I think the the most important thing I'll take away from this conversation is tell someone, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a friend, um getting over that shame um that you'll be judged or people think of you less. And as I said before, you know, I think when you can be vulnerable you'd be surprised of how people can pour into you. And I, and I think the other thing is scrutinize your triggers. I was listening to a particular type of music and it, it kind of started to make me cry. And I was starting to think, oh, why am I feeling like this? It was because of the, the song that was being played at the time, which took my mind to a very dark place. And again, scrutinize what's making you feel the need to kind of pour into something that's kind of a bad habit. So I say really identify what is the root cause of why am I feeling like this? And again, touching on music, I know it may sound very premature and very basic, but it's such a powerful drug. Even if you can just create a playlist of how you want to feel, like, do you want to feel excited? Do you want to feel happy? Do you want to be in your feelings? Just having that, on your phone, Spotify or Apple Music as a playlist to help you kind of transition between your moods. And then I guess just to wrap it up, you know, there, there is a number of resources out there if you've been affected by any of the themes we discussed in, in the episode. So mine have 
lots and lots of different resources for people who are going through addiction at the same time resources to help people if you're a friend or a family member someone going through uh, through an addiction so one of them is adfam that's a very good website to to use um, in order to support people if you're a friend or family member and then if you're actually going through this yourself you've got drugwise so that's information on drugs and alcohol and tobacco and you've got NHS Live Well, which gives you advice and tools to help you with your health and well-being. So there's there's lots of different ones, and and for specifically for cocaine, there's Cocaine Anonymous UK. Um, so if you want to stop using cocaine, you can you can reach out via helpline at cauk.org.uk. Another one I want to mention, sorry, turningpoint.co.uk. So turning-point. .co.uk, that's a really good one for substance abuse as well. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll close it there. It's quite um, a very heavy topic to deal with, but we really do hope that um, like Rachel's story is able to inspire anyone. And I think the biggest thing is that just also evaluating your friendship circle because she did, she did make the point that she cut off some people in order to move forward. So don't be afraid to make that decision at the benefit of your general well-being but that's pretty much it guys um we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode thank you bye guys bye you've just listened to an episode of your real money stories an original podcast brought to you in association with zopa who provide great value financial products and tools to make managing your money a lot easier so make sure you subscribe and share with your friends who you think might have related to this episode for more information and resources around the themes discussed in this episode, head over to zopa.com forward slash podcast. And of course, if you want to be in the next episode, make sure you slide into our DMs on Instagram at Money Medics.